Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Dan Nathan. Coming up on Fast, follow the yellow brick road. That is the message from the chartmaster. Why Carter Worth is betting on bullion following today's big rally. Plus, payment problems. The analysts call the 10 square tumbling today. And later... One more big uptick. I don't even know what's doing it. Give it, give it. We've got a major trade update from Fast Money friend Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy, a.k.a. Davey Day Trader. He will join us straight ahead. But first, we start off with the big market rally that kicked off the week. The S&P posting its highest close in over two months. The Dow up almost 4%, its biggest gain since the start of April. The Nasdaq now up 3% in 2020, just 6% away from its all-time high. A far cry from where we were just a few weeks ago. But do you believe in this rally, Guy? Well, hi, Mel. Hi, Guy. How you doing? So, I mean, no, you know the answer to that with me. I don't believe in it at all. But, uh, you know, I've also been wrong now for the last couple of weeks. And this move from 2800 to current levels has me scratching my head. And, you know, again, kudos to Tim, who has said uh, consistently that the pain trade is higher. But, you know, I think not only was, you know, the hope of a vaccine in the, in the, in the blanket of a phase one promising trial part of this, but... You know, the, the 60 Minutes piece last night with Jerome Powell, which was, you know, for somebody like me, just stomach turning when asked, you know, where are they getting this money from? Are you just pulling it out of thin air? And his answer is, well, that's one way of putting it. I mean, that was a lot of this as well. So, listen, I see what happened today. I get it. I understand people want to be hopeful. But now I really <laughs> think we're ahead of ourselves, Mel. In his pre-release testimony, he also says effectively that they are far from running out of ammunition. Um, that, of course, coming much later in the day, Tim. The question is, though, how much of this rally is actually baking in the realization of that vaccine? As Guy had mentioned, it's phase one. There's phase two. There's phase three. Yep. There's a lot of time okay. still ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if you're if you're banking the rally on the news on Moderna, is it's something that you have to be really careful about. Um, when you think about what Powell was saying and that which was turning Guy's stomach, uh, the fact that he's saying, hey, let's not have Washington worry about this. We'll worry about deficits later. We've, we've always been a net spender. Um, I, that, that's actually, that is bothersome because I, I think uh, to assume that this is the same context in which the U.S. has run a deficit uh, is, is, you know, they're, they're apples and oranges. Having said all that, think about the market has done since 10 a.m. Thursday morning. We've rallied 7% on the S&P. So think about all the periods we've had uh, during this, this, this chaos, this crisis, COVID-19. This is about as strong as a move as we've had, and we've taken it right back up to that 2950 level. Uh, I know Carter's on later in the show. I'll let the, the chartists talk about this. Um, but if you think about where we are in terms of fundamentals, what people are trying to do, and, and they did it today with value over growth at a time when Friday's news on Google and antitrust, Huawei on Friday, China retaliates overnight, or at least the jawboning on that has only escalated. Um, so it's been kind of a driver for these industrial names and these underperformers and these, these value names, if I may, uh, late cycle cyclicals that have actually outperformed over the last couple of days. So extraordinary relative to this market move. And I, I don't think it's just about Moderna. 
cruise lines were up very sharply. I mean, anything that could benefit from people getting that vaccine so they are able to go to a place like a Disney, uh, BK, um, benefited. Also, as Tim had mentioned, yep. Wells Fargo. I mean, that was up almost 10 percent today. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the thesis there is that you're going to have an economy that gets back on its feet a lot quicker than the market was pricing in, you know, just last week. At the same time, I think I'm more more on Guy's side in that, you know, listen, I'm old enough to remember when China trade problems were were an issue. You know, that was last Friday. That was last Thursday. Um, so this market can turn on a dime. Uh, it does feel like this rally today, while I understand why you have to buy in the stock market if you're an, a, an investor or a, a money manager, you can't miss a vaccine type of rally. That being said, there seems to be a lot of hope built into this. I'm not a scientist, not going to play one on TV, but all the work I did today tells me it, it's a long way from here to a vaccine, which means the market may indeed be a bit, a bit of ahead of itself. Contrary to popular belief, I am at heart, an optimistic person. So I do want to believe that there is a vaccine out there. It will be found and people will be able to to receive this vaccine. So they will be um, immune from the effects of the coronavirus. Dan Nathan at the same time and the stock market is a forward looking instrument. So why is it wrong? Why should it be doubted that this rally is believable? I mean, the, the market is simply looking ahead to that day when things go back to normal. What's so wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it, Mel, is the fact that, you know, we just went from a period over the, I guess, the beginning of this year where unemployment was low single digits at 60 year lows. And now the best case scenario for the back half of the year is that it's going to be 10 percent, maybe at its lowest. And it's likely to stay that way. I think one of the things that the market refused to kind of acknowledge of what Powell said last night on that 60 Minutes interview is that this is going to be a very long recovery, maybe as long as the end of next year. And those are the sorts of things where, you know, the market is not particularly pricing. We are all optimists. From the human perspective, we all would like to see a vaccine. The reality is that, like, all these guys have just kind of meshed this together here. The likelihood of something being usable in a mass scale is not great. And to tie it together with what these guys were saying about China, the risk there is that the supply chain for such a vaccine comes through China in a big, big way here. We need to get along with them. We need to stop the blame. Listen, I think that China has, you know, they should accept a whole heck of a lot of blame for a lot of things in the world. But getting to DEFCON 5 right now, before we even have a sense for this thing, doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now. So to me, I just think that we're in a pretty perilous spot here. I think the markets, like you say, are looking ahead, but they might not be acknowledging some of the things that will be headwinds in the back half of this year. But despite some of the skepticism that our panel has uh, tonight or surrounding the vaccine-fueled rally, we did want to ask them, what would you buy? What would you buy? The one trade that you would make if you were to believe that the vaccine is, is on the way. So it's time to take your position, vaccine edition, and we'll kick it off with Guy. Well, along with this trade, I would have to buy myself, uh, what do they call that, the Dramamine or the Bonine? Because, as you know, I suffer terribly from motion sickness. But I will tell you, Mel, because I know you're a fan, if you go on the New Jersey Turnpike and take exit 7A in Jackson, you will soon find yourself at Six Flags Great Adventure, not only in Jackson, but all over the country. Now, look, that stock has gone from 8 to 22, but still a meaningful short interest and there's a lot of ceiling above up back to 35. So if some magic vaccine comes out, 
everybody's going to be you're going to that New Jersey Turnpike's look like the New York State Thruway in 1969 for Woodstock Melms, if you recall. I don't. I haven't been to Six Flags and Senior Cut Day. I mean, it's been that long. Um, Tim Seymour, what's your <laughs> one vaccine <laughs> <cut>. trade? <laughs> There's no way you cut school, Mel, ever in your life. My one vaccine trade uh, is GM. So I, I think of the autos essentially as, as uh, airlines light in terms of how the market has looked at their free cash flow or lack thereof. Uh, the burn for GM that we learned uh, for 2Q is going to be somewhere between 7 and $9 billion. But what people don't understand is GM also, unlike Ford, is actually relatively close to free cash flow if you get SARS somewhere back to 12 or 13 million and we're uh, getting some guidance that mid-May uh, the annual auto sales number, which is essentially what we're talking about, is, is around 12 million. So I actually think that GM was closer uh, to neutral in terms of their cash burn. We know Ford uh, got a plant going today. I think the autos have been seen as essentially uh, burned to you know where and I actually, as, look, as our audience knows, I've liked GM and it hasn't been a great trade. But uh, as a company that was treated as if their credit was uh, a, a bad risk, and we've seen actually their credit improve dramatically, um, I think the equity would be one of the first things to move very quickly and decidedly on a, you know, on a vaccine tomorrow. BK, Brian Kelly. Well, you know, for me, it's almost biologically impossible to be on the same side of the boat as the rest of the crowd. It seems to me that if we have a vaccine, you see everything that goes up that already went up today. So what you want to do is you actually want to sell into that rally. To me, I'd be selling biotech. And the reason why is everybody has been focused on this one particular problem which means everything else has been put on the side burner they got to ramp back up it's going to take a while to get there and there's probably going to be this rally into it so i'm a seller of biotech on a vaccine somewhat contrary but that's what i do interesting dan nathan what do you say yeah, so to me, it would be the iShares, uh, the, the, the long-term U.S. Treasury uh, ETF. I would be selling that, the TLT. I mean, the rates obviously have been going down for the last year. The 10-year Treasury has seemed to have found a home somewhere about 60 bips. And I would think a vaccine might put the fact uh, of, of negative interest rates in this country off the table. You might see rates going back higher here. So to me, obviously, it's been a, a pretty decent trade to be long TLT, long U.S. Treasury, short yields. I would see that reversing if there was some confidence about a vaccine uh, in this year or early next. All right. Well, as stocks soar today, our next guest says the market is officially in what he calls the frustration phase of recovery. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. He joins us on the fast line. Tony, always great to speak with you. Hey, Mel. Can't wait to see you. I can't <laughs> wait to see you in person. Um, that's for sure. In terms of the markets, you think that we're in a range right now. Is that why you think it's going to be frustrating? Yeah, so uh, so since this crisis began, as you know, we downgraded the market in January, and at that, after that you went into a panic. And, and when you're in a kind of a crash environment, you go through three phases, and the viewers are probably sick of me talking about it, but the first one is the panic phase. Obviously, checkmark, we went through that. The second one is the relief rally phase, and I think it's something that w one of the guys mentioned earlier. As of last Thursday morning, the equal-weighted S&P 500 was within 1% of where it was three days after the rally began on March 26. And it was exactly where it was on, the, on what we call the game-changing decision of the Fed on April 9th to buy high-yield debt. So I think what, what you get is 
Last Thursday, people are talking about Wells Fargo needing um, some kind of help in cutting their dividend, and today the banks are up, you know, the better part of 10%. So we're in this kind of, it feels like it's going to crash, and then it feels like it's going to spike, and in the meantime, it really doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. Road to nowhere sounds like what was what you're saying for the market. 2800 to 2950 we're right above that right now, Tony. So uh, what are you telling investors to do? I mean... Where where do you hang out in this? Well, I could see I could see a little bit of follow through. Today was a good day. You you can't you know um, we put out a a thing as you know this morning about the Fed. I never thought in my career I've been doing this almost thirty five years. I never thought that I would hear a Federal Reserve chairperson say we're just printing money. We'll worry about what that means down the road, and there's no limit to the amount we're going to print. So whether you you know again get by the whether that's right or wrong, good or bad. You know, when they made that decision to buy the high-yield debt market, parts of the high-yield debt market on April 9th, that took the worst case off the table. That meant the Fed is going to make sure we don't go into it, or do their best anyway, to go into that 2008-style crisis. So what we're telling people to do at this point, you know, following through, Mel, on the show that we did a couple of weeks ago is, if you're really overweight the quote-unquote COVID-19 trade, meeting the work-from-home stocks, and you're way underweight the banks and tanks, the financials and industrials, then normalize that. Um, as you know, we're, we're neutral weight, um, the sectors, until we get a better relative performance out of the banks and tanks and until we see better signs in credit, like the U.S. Treasury market today, where you get a lift in yields. Hey, Tony, it's BK. Good to, good to have you on. Uh, I, I'm curious, what gets you uber bullish? Because prior to this, Prior to this and, and prior to your downgrading the market, you were one of the more bullish analyst strategists on the street. So what changes your mind here from this kind of frustration phase to all clear we're going to new highs? I, I really think it's got to be signed. There's two things, okay, or three things, really. Number one is if you look at um, what the Fed has said and done, it has led to a dramatic improvement in corporate credit, but it's still highly stressed. Okay. So if you look at where corporate spreads are, they're still stressed relative to where they were. So we put out a note last week that that's probably, you know, buy what the Fed is buying. They're the ones printing the money, and that's corporate bonds right now. But you need to see that really improve, kind of like today. You need to see the treasuries and other asset classes corroborate that it's not a a work-from-home world. It's a going-back-to-work in a normalized environment, and that comes with a vaccine. So that's the second thing. And you want to see the, like I said, the sector rotation really favor the economically sensitive trade versus the COVID-19 trade. Hey, Tony, it's Tim. Uh, Oil's up 80 percent or so in the last 18 sessions, and we saw a lot of reflation out there today. Um, You know, Bloomberg article, there's other people saying China demand on oil has already come back to where it was pre-crisis. What are you doing with that trade? What are you doing with resources, which really should have a lot of room to run if there's even a little bit of hope here? Absolutely. So that that goes into the asset class. The second thing I mentioned is how you get super bullish. Is you get kind of what follow through you did today, Timmy. You get the the copper um, prices, commodities. You want commodities higher. You want treasury yields higher. You want the yield curve steeper, and you want corporate credit rallying. We got all that today. But if you look again, I, I mentioned if you go back and look at just at the end of last week, that was a relative performance low in the banks and, and industrials. So I want I want to see more than a spike. I want to see a trend. And you know this is good. You don't want to. 
this is an epic battle where the Fed is fighting the economy, right? The Fed on one side, the economy, and they're both an incredibly powerful force. I don't want to guess on a spike in either direction. I didn't want to sell them last Thursday, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily want to chase them, like you said, Timmy, up 7% from last Thursday today. Tony, great to speak with you. Thank you, as always. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity Guy. Last word. Hi. That's your last word? Pardon me? No, it's not my last word. What I'll say is a couple things. You mentioned the road to nowhere, which has, ironically enough, a talking head song. Just throw that out there, number one. Number two, I understand what Tony's saying. You know, if you think that things are going to normalize, there's nothing wrong with taking somebody off the table in a name like Zoom. But he also mentioned panic on the way down. And I got to tell you something. It's funny how people use the word panic when the market's selling off. But when it's up 900 points, it's like no big deal. Nothing ever happened. Panic works both ways. It's just we associate things a bit differently when it's uh, moving to the upside, Melms. All right. Coming up, airline stocks taking flight today. What one major carrier said about the future that gave the sector a big lift and later a rare red spot in today's sea of green. We'll tell you what had Square investors missing out on this big rally. Plus, a million reasons why Fast Money friend Davey Day Trader is having a great day. He will join us when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the airlines taking off today along with the broader market. And we got some big headlines out of Delta on its path forward. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with all the details. Hi, Phil. Hey, Melissa. Delta released its June schedule, and they didn't give a whole lot of information in terms of adding a ton of new flights. But they did say that they're adding some flights on some routes because there is slightly greater demand. That was enough for people to say, aha, the airlines are coming back. Well, Keep in mind, when you look at the number of people who were flying yesterday, we're still way down from where we were a year ago. And by the way, Delta's schedule is going to be down 85% in the second quarter. Yesterday, 253,870 people, 807 people were checked in at security by TSA, the most since March 24th. Guess what? Still down 90% compared to the same day last year. And by the way, the worst in early April was down 95%. So while it has come back a little, it's still a long ways from where it was a year ago. Still, that has, you know, people saying, okay, let's move into the airlines. They should be moving higher. They were all up, as you were showing in the beginning there, uh, more than 7 or 8%. United was up more than 20%. Quickly take a look at Boeing and Airbus. And the reason I'm showing this is, Uh, These stocks also got a bit of a pop today. And what's interesting,
interesting here is that people are saying, well, now look, what Delta is saying is they're going to retire some of their 717, some of their older aircraft focused on the A220. That's good news for the aircraft manufacturers. Yes, the expectation is that you will see newer aircraft being purchased and flown in the future. Does that mean we're going to see a surge of orders anytime soon, Melissa? No, do not expect that. In fact, when you talk with airline executives, they are deferring, stretching out their orders or canceling their orders as opposed to placing, you know, huge numbers of new orders. It'll come around eventually, but not right now. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Uh, What a world we live in when you can say that if air traffic is down 91 percent year on year, that that's actually an improvement from the lows that we saw in April. Tim (laughs) Seymour, um, is this really are these really green shoots for the airline industry? They're relative green shoots. Um, So Phil's talking about deferrals. First of all, look at Southwest, which is as much of a consensus long trade as you could have in airlines right now. So it's all relative. Um, They've just deferred 59, 737 MAX planes. Um, When I think of the airlines that I think are going to spring back to life faster, Southwest is certainly at the top of the list along with Delta. But I say Southwest here just because of their cash position. You know, in April, they raised about $3 billion through some equity converts. People wondered why they did something dilutive when they could have uh, done a secured borrowing, and uh, as others have. uh, They have $18 billion or so in cash. I think they can hunker down, but I think they can be opportunistic. So uh, capacity down 40%. Uh, year over year to where we are now, and it could get more as Phil just guided. Uh, Southwest is probably best position coming out of this. A vaccine would really help them all. But I mean, in a world in which um, airlines have to operate under strict safety measures, perhaps there's an argument to be made that some of the more regional carriers, the one that the ones that specialize in point to point destinations as opposed to hub and smoke, where you have to spoke, where you have to actually transfer, that they may be better off guy dami um, simply because the the connection times may not be there they may have to get bigger because of safety measures etc and and those and those connections i mean either you're sprinting and sweating from one end of the airport to the other or you're you're sitting at a starbucks milking your as tim likes to do his vente latte so i agree with you there but quickly on the first of all I'm glad to hear phil lebeau's voice is much better because as you know he's playing hurt last week Number two, I think we were collectively all very negative on the airlines. And I will tell you, that changed on Thursday. And I'm, I know what we said, that on Thursday when that terrible news about Delta came out, the stock mm-hmm. traded to 17 and a half on big volume, reverse, close higher. We said today's a capitulation day. You can buy this for a trade. And that's proven to be correct. So maybe the airlines showed their hand on Thursday of last week. And maybe these are stocks you can stay with on the long side for a trade, Melms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some breaking news here on Disney. Julia Borson's got the latest. Julia. I just spoke to Kevin Mayer. He is currently running Disney Plus, Disney's direct-to-consumer and international division. He was just appointed to become COO of ByteDance and CEO of TikTok starting in two weeks. I spoke to Kevin Mayer, who said that he's leaving now because he sees this as an opportunity. And he said that he thought that Disney Plus was in such a good place, growing faster than expected and exceeding its targets, that he felt comfortable leaving now. Now, I asked him if he was leaving because he did not get the CEO role. He was, of course, one of the people who was a potential successor to Bob Iger. He said that had nothing to do with it. And he admires Bob Chapek, who is, of course, now CEO of Disney. And he enjoys his job, but he isn't getting any younger. And he wanted to try this new opportunity. Now, I asked also about the data and privacy challenges that are facing Chinese-owned ByteDance and TikTok in particular. He said he has experience with digital privacy and security issues 
in his years at Disney and at Disney Plus, and he does know how to deal with those challenges. And as for the advertising opportunity at TikTok, he says it is massive. Guys, back over to you. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. Dan, I mean, this could be a statement on, on where media is going these days, uh, or it could be a statement on, on Disney and what's going on there. Well, it's also a statement, Mel, uh, you know, about um, a Chinese company hiring a, a U.S.-based uh, CEO. I think that's pretty interesting. There's been a lot of talk about some of the potential uh, regulation against TikTok and the data that that company um, is compiling largely on teenagers throughout um, America. But make no mistake, TikTok has been a phenomenon. And if you're thinking about who they're competing with, they're not going to be competing with maybe for your eyeballs uh, with a Disney, but it's really Snapchat. I mean, this is one that they are locked in, in a death match here. And you could also throw um, Instagram in there, too, with the, with the teen's mind share. So this is a really interesting move um, at a time where there's um, a lot of consideration. I'm sure there's a lot of U.S. media and social media companies that would have loved to have bought TikTok, but they just can't. And they're fighting against a Chinese behemoth right now with a very well-seasoned U.S. executive. All right. Coming up, the stock that got this whole rally going today will get the very latest on Moderna's coronavirus vaccine hopes and where the rest of the field stands in the race for a cure. Plus, we are counting down to the earnings from the world's biggest retailer, why options traders say Walmart could hit a new all-time high when it reports. We'll bring you that trade when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Soaring on Wall Street today after drug maker Moderna reported positive data from early stage coronavirus vaccine trial. Moderna shares jumping nearly 20 percent to touch fresh all time highs and the company is getting ready to sell more shares. Let's get to Meg Terrell with more on this big breakout. Meg. Hey, Melissa, we are talking about essentially eight patients worth of data uh, that are moving the market to this extent. It's really amazing to see. Um, but there are eight really important patients. This is the first human clinical trial data we're getting on a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, it enrolled 45 participants who are between 18 and 55. Uh, but we're focusing on those eight because it was they who showed the neutralizing antibodies were generated as a, a result of this vaccine. And the neutralizing antibodies are what you need in order to fight off a virus. Um, also, it was generally well tolerated. And now the company's saying a phase three is planned for July. Already questions are being lobbed to the CEO about how they're going to price this potential vaccine. We talked to Stefan Bonsell, the CEO, about that on Squawk Box this morning. Here's what he said. We need to start thinking about pricing. As you can appreciate, we're going to be very thoughtful. We know it's a pandemic. Uh, we know people are waiting for the product. And so we just have to figure out uh, what's the right price. 
So this is a company that has no products on the market right now, and uh, they need to be able to fund the manufacturing of what could be the first potential product. So to do that, they are doing a secondary stock offering of one and a quarter billion dollars in shares uh, that they just announced today. They're going to use the proceeds to mainly fund the manufacturing and distribution of this vaccine candidate if it's successful. Uh, and Mel, of course, this is at a time when Moderna's stock is just at this unforeseen height. And I talked to Jared Holtz about this at Jeffries. He said, you've got to strike while the iron is hot. Uh, and you can see the iron is very hot for Moderna right now. Uh, in terms of where this is, in terms of the context of other vaccine candidates for COVID-19, there are other multiple uh, vaccines that are, are in clinical trials already, and you can see them here uh, in terms of when they're going to start or when they already have started, uh, going out to Johnson & Johnson and Sanofi and GSK saying they're planning to start them at the end of this year. So Mal, this is moving incredibly quickly, a lot of players in the race, but the first very early data positive from Moderna today. Back to you. You mentioned the iron being very hot uh, and them striking while it's hot, Meg. How unusual is it for a company to release phase one data? Albeit, I mean, I, I understand that everybody is watching this very closely, but this, this seems to be a very unusual move for a company to release data so early. That's a great question, uh, you know, because the phase one is not completed yet. But we did hear on Friday from President Trump's new head of Operation Warp Speed, Monsef Slawi, that he had seen certain clinical trial data that made him feel very confident that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. Everyone thought he must be talking about Moderna, uh, but we didn't know. Uh, he was on Moderna's board and actually left the board on Friday. Um, but, you know, there have been some people speculating, did Moderna present this data because he had just seen it on Friday. So, you know, it's, it is a very interesting situation uh, and nothing is normal about how things are operating in this pandemic. Very true. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Uh, Brian Kelly, you said if there were a vaccine, you'd fade IBB. What do you say right now, at, at, right, uh, yeah. right at this moment? Right. I, still, I still stick with that. I mean, again, listen, we're talking about eight people uh, and it's a vaccine that we've never had a coronavirus vaccine before. So now all of a sudden this is something new. It's a new process from what I understand. Um, so to me, there just seems to be so much hype built into this and the fact that the company is selling shares. By the way, right thing for the company to do. But as an investor, I probably don't want to be a buyer of those shares. Guy Dami. If the vaccine is successful, that's why they issued this secondary to pay for the uh, production. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But I mean, let's, I mean that's, a, that's great that they say that, but let's, I think Brian's spot on. They're doing exactly the right thing. They're taking advantage of this huge move to the upside. But respectfully, as you know, if the vaccine were to be successful, the stock would be 30% higher where it is now, and there would be a better time to do a secondary. So if they're selling, if they're, within six hours of this stock going parabolic, if they're issuing shares, to me at least, to the tune of $1.25 billion, I mean, that tells you all you need to know. So label me skeptical as well, Mel. All right, coming up. Davey Day Trader is back on Fast, and he's got a big update on his portfolio. Barstool sports founder Dave Portnoy joins us straight ahead. But first, Guy is winding up for a fast pitch why he says this group of stocks is ready to shine. Fast Money's back in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rally today. Gold took a breather, but one of our traders is betting that bullion is about to break out big time. He's got a way to play. Guy down, he's taking the mound for a fast pitch. Guy, take it away. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I found myself watching the 60 Minutes last evening with uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, and hopefully most people were as aghast as I was. But, you know, when he basically said, yeah, we're just digitally creating money. I mean, that tells you all you need to know in terms of what's going on in gold. So that money reserve, you know, the money M1 money supply continues to go through the roof, number one. And that doesn't show any signs of abating. Number two, I mean, physical gold, there is a now premium for it. If you look out there and see what's happening, people are uh, tripping over themselves to get the actual physical commodity. And the reason three and the reason why I think GDX is your play is because how levered these gold miners are to the price of the underlying commodity. Now, GDX is one third, basically, Newmont Mining and Barrick, but you got a little Kinross in there. you got a couple other smaller mines. So if you don't want to play the individual names, I think, and I'm, I'm usually reticent to pitch an ETF, but in this case, I think GDX works. And this is an environment where if you've been waiting for gold, it doesn't get much better than this, Mel. All right. Well, this, as Fast Money viewers know, is usually the point of the fast pitch where we open the floor to traders who can weigh in or ask a question. But in a Fast Money first, we're going to kick things over to the chart master to break down where he sees the gold headed. So Cornerstone Macro's Carter Worth joins us. Carter, take it away. You bet. Hi, team. Well, uh, aghast is the word. That's right. What uh, you're hearing from your federal authorities is ghastly, and you want to own gold, you want to own miners. Let's look at a couple charts, three in total. The first is just uh, actually the point that Guy is making. This is a comparative chart of the metal versus the Philadelphia Gold and Silver Mining Index going back to its inception in 1982. And what you can see there is the spread, right? We know that gold is getting back to its all-time high, whereas the miners have lagged. They're still operating companies, and they have to uh, struggle with so many things. But if you want leverage, uh, this is where you want to do it, and that's the point about GDX. You play this through GDX. The second chart is just the simple chart of bullion. Now, this goes back to the lows in 2000, 2001, which you can see very clearly. Bullion was trading at basically 250 an ounce, plus or minus 255, and it, and it peaked in 2011 in the summer at 1924. And then it gives back half, and we've basically been climbing back since 2015, as all will know. And we are now sitting here at 1735 plus minus. It's just, if I would use a word, inevitable that we are going to approach those highs the 19, and ultimately exceed those highs. But finally, just a here and now chart. Take a look at um, the final chart. It's the six-month chart of gold bullion. And today's weakness simply brought you right down to that minor trend line. And this, uh, I think, will end up being yet another chance for those who are not involved to get involved. Days like this, when there's weakness, uh, keep adding to longs or get long for the first time. All right, Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton worth joining us. So the man who sits atop the pantheon of technical analysts essentially backs Guy's pitch for GDX. So we ask the traders now, buying or selling Guy's fast pitch for GDX? Tim Seymour, what do you say? You know, Guy, I'm sorry. I, I believe in gold, but I don't believe in the GDX here. So I'm afraid I think investors uh, will be chasing this one. And this is not Guy with a mustache. This is actually Guy frowning. Um, and those are actually teardrops, not tattoos. So I'm a seller, Guy. 
I was going to say the stash looks not not bad on Guy. Um, Brian Kelly. Now it looks like it, 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 <laughs> more stash. Sorry. <laughs> Fire sell GDX. You know, for me, it's it's a buy. I like it. I'm long gold, but I got this little emoji guy here, which is kind of I don't know because my concern is exactly what Carter brought up. Their operating expenses. I expect their labor costs are going to go up, and with oil rising, that's a big input to them. So I'd rather buy gold, but you know, GDX isn't bad. I look, Carter's back. <laughs> we brought back the guest, um, Dan Nathan. What do you say? <laughs> Yeah, so listen, you guys know I buy Guy all the time, and I certainly buy Carter. Um, you know, I think Carter said something interesting about the GDX here. I think on a pullback to that breakout level near 30 looks like a great level to reload on the long side. You go back and look at the past crises. This thing had much higher highs. I get the point about input costs. Um, but from a technical setup, this thing looks like a decent buy and a pullback toward the low 30s. I guess Carter left. Um, so the traders have voted. <laughs> it's your turn now. Are you buying guys' pitch on the gold miners, the ETF GDX? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Coming up, Wall Street's betting it is not so hip to be square after the stock got slammed today. We'll tell you what's got investors so bearish on the name. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of payment processor Square dropping more than 4% on a double downgrade from Bank of America. The analysts warning that many of the small businesses that Square relies on for 75% of its payment volumes, like bars, restaurants, retailers, they could struggle to survive when the economy does reopen. Dan, what's your take on this call? It's, it's a downgrade, by the way, all the way down to underperform. Yeah, pretty severe when you see a Wall Street bank go to a sell. Um, I think this is a bit of a trading call. I think you can tell the, comp- uh, the Bank of America, the analysts, they like this company. They like the secular trends that they are exposed to. They're just basically saying, go to the sidelines here. The uncertainty about the majority of their customer base is going to exist, and it's going to exist for a while. The stock was already trading at a premium to many of its peers and obviously to um, the broad market here. So, you know, the fact that the stock was only down about 3% tells you that investors are not just hitting the sell button automatically, even on a huge day like today. I don't even think that was that big of a deal. Um, But to me, I think this is a stock that you'd love to see it get nailed and you'd like to buy it in the hole. The stock sold off 60% from its February highs to its March lows. You had an opportunity to buy it here. I think they're probably just moving to the sidelines with the stock still up on the year. Brian Kelly, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's right, is that you probably want to buy this on any dip or any pullback here. But what I think is interesting about this is that this downgrade kind of flies in the face of what the broader market, and particularly the small caps, have been doing. The small caps have been rallying. You know, if they are only a third of them or half of them are going to come back into business, you would think that the economy becomes weak just like uh, they're saying in this downgrade. So there's this dichotomy going on. I still think there's more to square than just the transactional volume, so I am a buyer on a dip. All right. Um, Guy, quick thoughts on square? Are you familiar with a Christmas story, Mel? Of course I am. The answer is probably no, but you recall... The triple dog dare. So they went the double downgrade. Right. They should have. They could have done a flick and a Schwartz and taken this sucker all the way down. But I think this is actually brilliant move. You go back to last May, this stock went from 97 to 50. We have seen significant moves both to the upside and downside in this stock over the last year. And I think they're taking advantage of the strength. So I think you're going to be able to buy this significantly lower. Good for them for having the temerity 
to put it out there. Tim? I'm actually long the stock. I think they've taken market share. They've been uh, proven to be a consumer-friendly platform in the middle of a lot of chaos, especially on PPP. Um, yes, it's been a trading call, and, and, and this stock doesn't move in small increments at any point. So um, be careful, but ultimately you want to lean long on this one, as I do, and have traded it around. All right. It is not too late to weigh in on Guy's fast pitch on the gold miners, GDX. Go vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later in the show. Plus, a huge slate of retailers set to report this week, including Walmart. Why options traders think the stock could rally to all-time highs. And we've got a major trade update from Fast Money friend Dave Portnoy. Davey Day Trader will join us when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a major slate of retail earnings coming at you this week, and options traders are betting on one of these names hitting a new all-time high when it reports. Mike has got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we're taking a look at Walmart, a stock that has been doing pretty well recently. It traded about three times the average daily call volume today. And right now, the options market is implying that the stock's going to move a little over 6% after they report earnings by the end of this week. That's considerably higher than the 3% or so that the name has averaged over the last eight quarters. And most of the opening activity that we saw today was in the weekly call options, specifically the 135 and 130 strike call options. The 130s were trading for around about $2. Obviously, the 135s were trading for less than a dollar. But buyers of those 135 calls are expecting Walmart to actually hit new all-time highs after they report earnings and hit those highs by the end of this week. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, let's trade these retailers here. Brian Kelly, in your view, what's the, what's the key here? I mean, obviously, we're going to be looking through, uh, to some degree, the quarter that they report. Yeah, I mean, yes, but probably not the way that people are thinking about it. To me, Walmart had this tremendous tailwind because of this crisis, because they went digital better and faster than a lot of other people. So they were able to take advantage of this much like Amazon did. But like I said last week, what I'm concerned about is that as products, and this is over the long run, or medium to the long run, as products get onshored, their costs are going to go up, so their margins get squeezed. As well, I suspect their costs for employees are going to go up. So if I'm trading this, I'd probably stay long it into the earnings, and I'm a seller on any pop into earnings. There are a lot of retailers I know you don't like, Dan. Is there a retailer on that wall that you do like? Well, interestingly enough, what, what BK just said, the big box guys, Walmart and Costco, they're going to actually do better because of the volumes, Costco in particular, because of their men, uh, membership structure than a lot of the other competitors. They had the benefit. Most of 95% of U.S. retail was shut down. The government put money in consumers' pockets, and they said you can only shop here for the most part. So these guys have been buoyed by that price action or by that action in general. So what I expect the winners to continue to win in what I expect to be a very challenging retail market where you're going to see a lot go bankrupt in the next year or two. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Davey Day Trader. He's got a big trade update, a million reasons why Barstool sports founder Dave Portnoy is having a great day. He'll join us next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a big trade update for you. On Friday, we spoke with Barstool Sports founder turned day trader Dave Portnoy. He told us he was down $1.1 million, thanks in part to some bad bets on Boeing. But check out what happened today. One more big uptick. I don't even know what's doing it. Give it, give it. Bang! 
after today's rally, Davy Day Traders portfolio is now up <laughs> more than $1 million. Dave Portnoy joins us now. Dave, you certainly had a lot of roller coasters trading, and, and we, we have you on because you are the everyman. So many people are at home, and they are day trading their accounts now. So they see a little bit of themselves in you. Now that you're up a million, what are you doing? Well, I let it all ride. So today was a good day. I'm wearing the green. I'm going to start by saying it's a lot more fun to make money than lose money. So today was the most fun I've had on the stock market. So I still had all the airlines in the and they were way up. The cruises were way up. Um, Alibaba, which I'm going to hold through earnings and all um, the Chinese like internet companies are smashing earnings. There's more today. So I think we're going to have a big week. But uh, I think the airlines will come back. And I love this game. You know, when I'm, whenever I'm on this show, all the critics like, why you have this guy on? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a moron. Well, I made a million today. So now I'm the smartest guy in the room. So I'm having fun. Here's the question, though. You don't make money in, until you actually take profit. So is that, have you done that, Dave? Have you actually sold anything that you made money on today? No, well, you're correct. But I, that's why it wasn't down money either. So I'm <laughs> pretty much back even. I, I'm still down 100 grand. I was up a million. I was down 1.1. Um, but yeah, I guess it's all all on the internet right now. No, I haven't closed out. I haven't done anything. I'm still trading. I want to get you some advice, Dave. Too. Um, Tim Seymour is an expert on Chinese internet stocks. Uh, Tim, I think Dave is probably referring to the Baidu results that we got today. The stock is up in the after hours session. What do you think of Alibaba? Well, I, I like Alibaba. I mean, I guess the, the metaphor, Dave, though, is when you've got an aging veteran hitting 220, um, but he hits for the cycle, uh, do you want to keep him in your roto team? And I, I think Baidu, if I look at, at the, the Chinese Internet names, it's not, you know, it, it was certainly an early pioneer, but it's not the name that I want to stay with long term. I think the snapback's very important. Rather be in Tencent, you know, and, and, and ultimately rather be in Alibaba. All right. That's what I'm in. I'm in Alibaba. Oh, I'm, I thought you said Baidu. Excuse me. So that that must have been confusing. Baidu is certainly <laughs> relative value to Alibaba. Love Alibaba. Yes. Stay long. Sorry. All right. All right. Good. That almost got real confusing. I would have come for your head if I got rid of that. Now, that would have been yeah. good TV. Uh, Dave, we got to <laughs> leave it there, but it's always fun to hear from you. We appreciate right. it. And congrats on the uh, $1 million profit today. Dave Portnoy of Barcelona Sports. Guy Diamond, just quickly. I mean, obviously, we don't have Dave on because he's the next Warren Buffett. But there are a lot of people at home who really identify with this guy. <laughs> yeah, and you hear the, you hear the, and, and I understand the joy in his voice. I mean, that's what we spoke about last week. He's an emotional being, and I think that's fantastic. But I got to tell you, the exuberance today, and he knows what the other side of that is. And that sign curve of emotion over the long haul, as he knows, yeah. is somewhat unsustainable. But you know what, Dave? You're the man, man. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Time to reveal uh, the results of the fast pitch. Did Guy win? What are we going to hear? Over 60% of voters are, in fact, buying your pitch. So congratulations. Time of your life for your final trade time. Guy, what do you say? GDX, dance with a girl you brought to the prom. <laughs> Brian Kelly. You know, this is a great macro environment, oil, gold, all kinds of stuff going up. You trade it via CME. think they're going to have some good earnings. Tim Seymour. You've got some Best Buy earnings coming out on Thursday. This is one of those retailers that I think's pulled forward a lot of sales, including some back-to-school and work-at-home seller of Best Buy. All right, Dan Nathan. Yeah, that square call, I think it's pretty interesting. I think you're going to have an opportunity to buy it lower, and I would be a buyer in the 60s. So pretty interesting company. They're going to be faced with a tough time, though, in the near term. 
All right. Thanks so much for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.